So this is the thing that I love most about you, Bobby, is you are the easiest going man I've ever freaking met. Like even before we start recording or started recording, I'm like, how are you doing? Like no complaints. It's like, how long have you got? As long as you need. Like you're so amenable. Have you always been that way? Or is that something that you had to kind of learn? Yeah, Kay, you know, I think um, I think all my life being around people and a lot of people that I disagree with or just don't really always understand, I've always seen people get upset, complain, make a fuss about things that don't really matter. And like, to me, I despise those people. Like, I want to be the exact opposite. So I think I've always taken the approach of only only a few things actually matter. And if something's not going to matter in a week from now, it's not going to matter in a month, matter in a month from now, and especially not going to matter in a year from now. So like, I've never gotten upset or complained about things like somebody being late for a call or having to take a detour. I just think all that stuff is such a waste of time. I think all it does is diminish the person who is upset about that because you're not affecting anybody else. All you're doing is weakening yourself. So to me, I've just never worried about or gotten upset about such little things. Well, I mean, that's such an inspiring mindset. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I, we're, we're similar in age. And I think that our generation is so, so beholden to their misery and so beholden to that kind of complaining, nagging nature um, of demanding like change in others, like when things don't go their way, there's no kind of like flow. Uh, so I, I think that's probably why we've, you know, become pretty good friends, I would say over the last few months. And certainly why I'm so thrilled that you're such a significant part of my life and so thrilled that you're joining me today on the podcast, Bobby Barag, everyone. Um, yes. So, hey, uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no I, I appreciate was- it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I think p- part of that is about misery and all that. I think I, you can always analogize life, I think, really to elementary school and high school. I think that's really when people's lives began. That really informs who they are. And I would say 90% of people you come across, they just want to fit in, right? There's a reason why somebody's really cool to you when it's just you and them in the hallway, when you get to recess in sixth grade, all of a sudden now they're above you is because they're trying to fit in with other people and they want to be seen as one of them and not one of you. And I think that is what has been so detrimental to society and people under 35 is that people are worse when they're playing to a crowd because they're not who they are. They're a manufactured version of who they are. And social media has given everybody a crowd 24 seven. And that's why people are so unhappy because they're pretending to be someone they're not to fit in with the crowd that's by and large represented by social media, retweets, likes, and follows. Wow. I really couldn't have said that. I don't think anyone could say that better. And it's so interesting. God, God works in mysterious ways, mine. So this morning I was trying to write a part for my book on So a few years ago, I went to the Nobu White Party, which they host on the 4th of July. It's at their Malibu location in Los Angeles. Um, And, you know, for most people, that scene is the be all end all. Like I I have grown adults like over the age of 40 and 50 and 60 
say to me, oh my God, I would kill to go to a party like that. And I, you know, coming coming to an event like that as a social scientist, as a sociologist, I found it to be one of the saddest places I'd ever been. You know, it was the middle of the day and people were taking more selfies than having conversations. They were taking videos on their phones, which, you know, I, I, I get like there's a lot of social clout with that. Los Angeles is a city that depends, you know, success is dependent on that social clout. But what I found most interesting was, you know, as soon as I went into, you know, the ladies restroom, which is sort of this bastion of freedom where, you know, everything, all the... <laughs> all the facade kind of falls away and you really realize, you know, a, how drunk you are, but also how drunk everyone around you is. And I will say at that party, I was not drunk. It was one of those rare British events where I was like, I don't want to get drunk here. Cause I feel like someone's going to put something in my drink. I, I just don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. It was, you know, it was like going to the zoo really, to be honest with you for me. And I found it so terrifying that, the millennial culture was so encapsulated in just that one event. You know, you go into the ladies' bathroom and the girls in there, they're crying over guys who aren't showing up. They're crying over guys who have shown up but aren't giving them attention. They're picking and preening their faces, saying, why don't I look like these filters? And, you know, like everyone's doing all sorts of illicit drugs, which, you know, I don't really, like at this point in my life, I'm just like, nah. Um it's not the kind of thing that I really want to be around. And it it really, it really was just sort of like that ultimate lived experience, ultimate metaphor for that kind of social community we build online that does not translate into reality. And it took me a long time to get out of that kind of mindset to get back to, you know, my sort of, I don't really care what I look like. I don't really care what you have to say about me. I'm here to like do a job. And once that job is done, I'm going to go home and I'm going to hang out with my animals. And like, that's my happy place. Like we, we seem to have forgotten that, you know, phones were invented so we could be in touch with each other more and that's it. And it really has just had such a, such a heavy influence on our social capital of one another and creating these communities that don't actually really exist um, outside of the digital sphere. So like, you know, Twitter goes away, Instagram goes away. A lot of people will have like full-blown nervous breakdowns because they'll be pretty damn lonely and they'll have to actually look at themselves in the mirror without the filter. And I don't really know what happens next, but I can't imagine that it's any good. But you're a, you're a few years younger than me, I think, actually. So I, I, you're a, a younger millennial, um, but you have you know, you've got a pretty significant following. I think that the stuff that you write is incredible. Um, you know, your most recent piece, you know, you touched on the bullies. That was pretty much how you opened the piece was talking about bullies. And once you stand up to the bully, you know, they're humiliated. And with everything that's going on with sort of social media and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's being dragged through the headlines right now and all that sort of stuff. I mean, do you see any kind of end in sight for social media or do you think it's fully ingrained in our psyche now to the point where it's as much a social capital as, you know, the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, things like that? Yeah, I wrote a column about a month ago talking about social media and, and I have, written about social media and the negative impact has had and okay I, I don't want to be someone I see these people all the time they say social media is horrible and they put that message on Twitter you know they say Instagram is <laughs> pathetic in their Instagram video so I don't want to be that person honestly 
I don't hate social media. It's been very beneficial to my career. I am on social media. I don't tell people to get off social media. And I'm definitely not a hypocrite when it comes to using social media. However, I've encouraged people to use social media to their advantage. Um, and this takes time and I'm not, I don't have it. I don't pretend to have it all figured out, but social media is a great place to tweet out clips, videos. You can monetize that now. So in other words, sometimes social followings can translate to money. So I certainly don't think that's going away. More and more of these digital media companies are relying on social media for revenue. So it's definitely not going to go away, but what we can do is use it differently. And the column you referenced was really Netflix simply told these blue check losers and New York Times writers and you know comedians, we're not going to take down David Ch- Dave Chappelle's special, The Closer. And um, that was sort of the end of it because the only power these hyenas and whatever you want to call them, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the name of these people are because I, I hate to use cliches like cancel culture and mob and all that stuff, but we know who this group is. So yeah. name or whatever you want, but this group only has power because corporate executives listen and obey their commands, right? Like ESPN fire somebody because some blue check on Twitter says, fire her she's racist and that's how it goes but if espn didn't obey if cnn didn't obey if coca-cola and nike under armor if they didn't obey these people would have no power netflix said we're not going to remove dave Chappelle's special and that was the end of it that one word no essentially just defeated their entire push for a week long to get Chappelle removed. if other companies would just stop listening to baseless unreasonable demands from the outside and they would control their company within i think so much of social media's negativity would just be background noise because it wouldn't matter anymore so to me like i would never work for a company that lets someone on the outside control my fate so to me i'm always going to position myself to work for a company that doesn't do that and so like i don't worry about that stuff because to me those people have no power over me okay I've been attacked probably by the blue check sports media people for probably 10 out of the last 15 days daily about something I've written. I mean, every day someone's quote tweeting me, uh, tweeting at me, DMing me, emailing me, whatever. And a lot of times I don't even respond or think about it because it's like, wait a minute, I would never hang out with this person. I don't like Mm -hmm. this person. We have nothing in common. This person's not an ally of mine. So why would I care? So one thing that I was sort of brag about myself, I don't, I try not to brag. I do think I use social media to my advantage because I think that for me, if you follow my social media feed, it's not always perfect. I make mistakes, I make mistakes every day, but I do think I've used social media to enhance my brand. And I've also not let it really have much negative impact on, you know, my mindset or life in any way. Um, I, I don't really take any negative negatives away from social media at all because I don't let any of that sink in. So I wish other people would use it the same way because they'd find out, hey, I can use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram to build my brand, but I don't need to make this my you know open diary. I don't need to react to everything. And I especially don't need to take home with me what's said about me online because most people that are judging you online, they don't know you. So what are they doing? They're judging you based off incomplete information. And that really sums it all up, I think. Wow. Yeah. God, I, I could listen. Like, I can't wait until like TED Talk. A TED Talk still a thing? 
Um, I call them. They are. They are. They are. Might be, okay. virtu- might be, might be virtual over Zoom, but yeah, <laughs> they're around. No, but you're so you're so articulate in your analysis, and it sounds like. And correct me if I'm wrong. Sounds like. It's almost like an evolution. And that's, you know, that's, again, what I'm writing about at the moment was moving from that place psychologically of thinking, oh, this is my currency to, oh, this is just a tool that I have to use in order to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I don't think that everyone is going to use social media even after an evolution. Not everyone's going to use social media for the means of, uh, you know, creating capital and, you know, getting jobs, making money off of it. I think, you know, I look at sort of like the boomer generation, the number of people who use it to source news, to see what their friends, you know, holiday pictures are like, to stay in touch with people that they wouldn't otherwise, you know, necessarily have a time to write a letter to, but can, you know, send a quick message and be like, hey, I'm just checking in with you today. I hope everything's good. And again, I think that it's almost like a full circle, but I don't know how doable that is for generations below us who were raised with social media. I mean, I think we talked offline. Like, I remember when I just had like the ring phone, like where you have to like go, you know, like zero and then you go back around um, like four channels on the TV. And I'm not that old, like I'm not 30. Um, but I, I really miss that, that ability to detach and have those human conversations and be forced into those human conversations through almost like necessity. God, I sound lonely right now. I'm not. Um, I'm surrounded by cats. Um, <laughs> no, I have friends. But uh, it, it's, it's interesting how you have managed to avert that, that cliché. And I don't think it is you bragging. I think a lot more young people, because I know a lot of young people who look up to you, and I know a lot of people older than us who look up to you, who want to emulate not just, you know, your career, but your mindset. And I think the more that you talk about this, the more likely it is that people will kind of cotton on to the fact like, oh, this is not actually, like, this isn't the real me. Like, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to affect the way I wake up in the morning. Um, Even though I follow a weird number of people and I'm friends with a weird number of people online who post pictures of themselves like I'm gonna bed now night and I'm like right do you not have anyone to say that to in your real life and I'm not trying to you know shame them for that I think whatever floats your boat but how much does that kind of community that sort of artificial community stop you from building that community in reality And then how much does someone with a large following doing and saying these things, uh, how much does that influence others away from building that community in reality? Um, I don't know, in your sort of social circles, like I don't want you to like dob any of your friends in, but um, I don't know if that's a word out here, dob someone in, like grass someone up, snitch on someone. Yeah, yeah, so (laughs) yeah, I, I guess I don't totally get I guess I do get it. I just, it's unfathomable to me that people care so much. Like mm-hmm. a lot of hate I get, I don't even, like a lot of times people send it to me, which is always strange. Like, you know, like someone, you know, in the business will text me and say, I was like an example last Sunday, someone texted me and said, Hey, did you see this AOL writer? I guess that's still a site. Um, told you to go kill yourself. Are you upset? <laughs> what? And I said, and I said, um, 
I said, no, I didn't even see it. I don't know who they are. I haven't been on AOL in probably eight years. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, but, but that's, yeah, but I was thinking, I was like, you know, I've been looking forward tonight. Um, you know, I just bet $250 on the Chiefs Bills money line. I think I'm going to win. This guy doesn't have any impact on my night. I mean, I was like, a, I was like to me, what does that actually do? And, and, I, and I would ask people that when they're so upset about what people are saying about them online, like, mm-hmm. what does it matter? Does it, does it damage your career? Does it damage your relationship? Does it damage your relationship with your parents? Does it impact you financially? Does it hurt your health? Those are the five things I think matter, those five things. And if the answer is no, 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 and no, why would you let it bother you? And, and to me, I don't think hardly anybody on social media can affect any of those things negatively for me. So to I, me, I, I, yeah. I just don't think they have any impact. Well, I'm glad. And so we have a saying in the UK, which uh, I don't know if it'll translate, but we say this week's news is next week's chip paper because we have fish and chips and like you wrap it up in newspaper. I don't know why. I guess it just like holds in the grease correctly. Um, and a few years ago, back when I was in, God, a long time ago, when I was back in university, I wrote a piece. I swear to God, mate, it took me 20 minutes to write this thing. I don't even think I proofread it. I wasn't getting paid for it. So I was like, whatever. Um, I was assigned the piece by one of my editors for like some internal competition or whatever they were running. Um, and it was basically like, why is your hometown the worst hometown ever? And I'm like, dude, Dylan Thomas literally called my hometown and I'm probably going to butcher this quote now but it was something like the graveyard of ambition so I was like oh I got this and so I was like there's the article I don't you know I'm going to class and then after class I'm going to go like you know hang out with my friends at like the bar or whatever and that was that and I woke up the next morning and I had like the BBC was calling me like people were writing horrible things about me in local newspapers national newspapers and I was like, it wasn't even a well-written piece. Like, why do you guys care? And that was one of the first things I said when I went on the BBC. I was just like, I didn't realize that I had like, I didn't realize I was that important. Like, right. why am I that important to these people's lives that they're so deeply offended by this? And honestly, point me out something that's bloody wrong in what I wrote. And I, did, I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, I legitimately wrote from the heart. If the assignment had been, tell us why your hometown is the best hometown ever, it probably would have been just as an easy piece to write. Right. And so, you know, my family, bless them. Um, most of them didn't talk to me about it, but my mom was clearly really upset. And my dad was like, I don't know why people give a toss. And I said, I was just like, yeah, this week's news is next week's chip paper. Like they'll get over it. Like no, like no one actually cares long-term. This is just the latest thing to be angry about. And so, I mean, it, it is so refreshing to hear you. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a similar mindset. But mate, I got to ask, what are you saying that's pissing people off this much? Because I read your columns. I, you know, obviously keep up to date on your Twitter. Um, you know, we retweet and all that sort of thing, each other quite a lot. Um, you're, you know, I, I said it on that. I was like, you're literally the nicest guy I know. And your analysis of every story of yours I've ever written in or written read in your column it's been so articulate and you know I can see why people would maybe want to debate it but not more than that like what do you what do you say that's going to get you killed mate like you can't die we need you well I think a um 
most of it's actually when I focus on somebody in the media, which is kind of interesting, like, you know, say mm. Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon or someone like that, uh, Jamel Hill, Joy Reid. Media yes. coverage has been done so poorly because there's an unwritten rule. You can only go after certain people. Look at media coverage, whether it's Stelter, Darcy, Ben Smith, all these outlets. They go after the same people over and over and over again. Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, Sean Hannity. That's really it. And then every once in a while, they'll focus on someone else occasionally. So that leaves everybody else really never to be covered. When's the last time you've seen a really a media journalist really focus in on someone like Anderson Cooper or Rachel Maddow or Chris Haynes and cover them the way they've covered someone like Tucker Carlson? And so to me, and this really happens a lot when I cover sports media is, I don't follow those rules. And I think people know, okay, this guy's not listening. He's been warned once already. Hey, like the piece that got everybody all upset was, is I talk negatively about Bomani Jones. People right away, it's like, okay, this is a white guy criticizing a black guy. He must be racist. And that's all they can see Mm. because in their minds, a white journalist has no right to criticize a black commentator who leans very far left. And that's really what it comes down to is, is that I'm not following these rules. And Kate, I mean, I don't say this to throw anybody on the bus. I've worked for companies before that have said, hey, are you really sure you want to go after that person? And it's like, um, the truth, it, it, if you can prove something, you should be able to write it. And I don't write anything that I can't prove. What I've said about Bomani Jones, what I've said about Joy Reid, what I've said about Max Kellerman, Katie Nolan, Rachel Nichols, on and on and on. I can prove all that stuff. So I think that's what people hate so much is that that I'm not following those rules. I'm not in the club, right? I'm not in the media club. I'm not I'm not obeying them. I'm disrupting them. You know, they know they know that I know how mediocre that club is, you know, how easily they've gotten there, how many how many um, shortcuts they've taken to arrive there. I think that's what bugs them. Like somebody told me a couple months ago, this is more on the sports media side. You know, if I didn't exist, nobody would criticize Bamani Jones. I'm the only one doing it. So of course they want to get rid of me. Of course they do. I think that is really, I think that's really the entire story here is that oftentimes I'm the only person criticizing the person I'm criticizing because I think other people are afraid to, even though, I mean, my criticism of Omani Jones was that his ratings were bad. His two shows were canceled and executives keep giving him jobs. Those aren't opinions. Um, look at the ratings. They're public. Look at his shows. ESPN announced they're canceled and look at the executives. They just gave him another job. Like to me, all of that is not only provable, it's all fact. So I think that really what it comes down to. And I find that pretty unfortunate because like, I don't care what happens to me, what they say about me. Maybe one day, you know, they'll prevent me from getting a job, whatever. I can't control it. I think other people see that like, okay, I agree with Bobby, but I'm never going to write that because I don't want to get that same hate. And that's disappointing because if they agree with it and they can improve it and, and they can prove it, they should say it and they won't. Wow. I mean, I'm so glad that you're a Outkick. How long have you been working um, for Outkick? Uh, I'm bad at math, but it'd be two years in May. So what is that? Well, a year and a half? A little over a year yeah. and a half? Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, 
God, they're they're really lucky to have you. And actually, no, actually, exactly a year and a half, I guess, if you do it. So yeah, well, yeah, year and a yeah. half. Um, but in 18 months, you really have just sort of skyrocketed to the position, yeah, that you just described. You know, you have this voice that is so other in the minutiae of just like clappy celebratory whatevers. Um, you know, let's be honest, like the reason that the critics love Fauci is like the documentary is because if they didn't love it, they'd get fired. Um, and so I see Outkick, you know, I, I was very biased. I didn't know who out, what Outkick was for a long time because I don't follow sports. Like I'm a rugby girl. You know, I don't really I don't you know, I don't fancy athletes, anything like that. So athletes and musicians, I'm sort of like, yeah, they're good, but I just I don't want to touch them. I don't know where they've right. been. Um, and so I'm very girly in that way. But, you know, as soon as I was kind of introduced to them and then, you know, my friend Buck got a show with uh, Clay Travis, who he's the owner, right, of Outkick? Uh, he was. He's the founder. Oh, we founder. Was, yeah, we yeah. sold the Fox in the summer, so you oh, yeah. the founder. Um, but it wasn't until that all sort of started happening and became part of my, you know, my social life, basically, um, that I really started to take an interest. That's how, um, you know, obviously I discovered your work and it was really just such a refreshing, it was just a breath of fresh air. Like, I know that's like a really cliche thing to say, but I was surprised that it, you know, Outkick as a, an organization do so much outside of the sports world and, you know, take those larger sort of pop culture topics and a lot of smaller stories. I will say there's a lot of stuff that comes out of Outkick that wouldn't um, probably get any attention if it weren't for your outlet. So I'm glad that, you know, Murdoch, et cetera, um, sort of made that decision. I've worked for a couple of companies that have been bought by Murdoch over time. And he, you know, other than MySpace, he's usually pretty good at this stuff. Um, but it really does seem to be this uh, bastion of free thought. And, you know, we've talked again offline about the kind of freedom that you get within your writing, which is not common. It's just not common within uh, any news media anymore. Like I was 11 when I first started writing for big outlets and I used to lie about my age. And I sort of noticed probably around 2015, 2016, I was told point blank um, at one place I worked that I wasn't allowed to write anything positive about Donald Trump during his run for president because that was just, that just wasn't what the, the outlet did. Um, and you do, you really take these sort of big topics, you know, you've interviewed incredibly influential people like uh, Megyn Kelly, who I think, you know, should get a lot more attention outside of the show that she does for herself. I think she's a brilliant woman. I think she's an excellent role model. Um, but in the other places that you've worked, like, did you settle Outkick because of that freedom? Did you have kind of similar experiences where, you know, instead of people maybe telling you, are you sure you want to write that? Were you ever told, no, you can't write that story? Do you have any examples like that? You know, I don't know if I've ever been told I couldn't write something as much as I've been warned the backlash. Um, I think anyone that had hired me or been around me, I think, you know, they, they, they knew what to expect, right? I think they knew, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. what, what, you know, what, who I am. Um, I will say this, the country keeps changing, right? Like, you know, I got the outkick May of 2022. It doesn't sound very long ago. It wasn't that long ago. But that Do you was mean really 2019 awesome. or 2020? 
2020, I'm sorry, 2020. So, <laughs> You're jumping yeah. forward into the future, yeah. mate. <laughs> so yeah, 2020. So you say, okay, well, not even two years ago, you know, whatever, the same country. We're not um, socially, we're much different. That was the start. Yeah. Of, you know, so I, I left my other outlet in early March of 2020. Pandemic was just starting. We weren't even locked down initially yet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if there was a positive COVID case where I was in Michigan. So we've changed so much. And then, you know, unfortunately, what I think really just shifted our entire society and culture was George Floyd's death. Um, Because that Mm. rose BLM and and everything just got racialized. I mean, I I don't, I've said before, I'll say it again, that made the country more racist because now all everybody sees is race now. So, so much has changed since then. It's hard for me to compare what I'm saying now to what I said then, because I just, I don't know. I think the standards have changed so much in the past two years there. Um, I've said before, I, I don't, the places that I had worked previously, I don't know if I could have lasted because the culture shift in 2020 and I didn't. So I think that that would have been an interesting uh, conversation there. Um, yeah, you know, for me, you know, you brought up sports, pop culture, politics. A journalist's job is actually quite simple. It's not a hard job. It doesn't take somebody brilliant. It doesn't take anybody that talented. The job is you give access to people who don't have access. You hold the people in power accountable and you get information that wouldn't be out there unless you provide it. That's the entire job of a journalist. Of course, they're not doing that, right? Like the fact that you say you can't criticize this person or you criticize them, you could be labeled a racist, a bigot. That's not a part of it. Why do journalists and why do TV hosts, why do they spend more time attacking some bus driver in Alabama for not wearing his mask than they do Bernie Sanders or AOC or Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. What does that say about them that they're protecting those guys but shaming people in middle America because they're not getting vaxxed at the rate that the elites want them to? Like that sums up the entire landscape of the media. And that's just what I find to be so gross. So to me, it doesn't matter if it's sports, media, pop culture, Hollywood. I'm going to hold those people accountable because that's the title of the job. And anyone that tries to stand in the way of that should not have a job leading a website or a news outlet. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. If, if, if you're in a position of power and you're telling people, hey, don't criticize that millionaire, don't criticize that billionaire, but focus on that welder, that plumber, you know, that, that, that tiny state over there where some small town representative stood up, that says more about the people in power. And that's what I would never do. If somebody told me that, and perhaps maybe one day will, I don't know, who knows where I'll work in five, 10, 15 years, I would quit instantly. There's no way I would put myself in that position because that would make my career useless if I'm protecting those in power and trying to destroy everybody below that, them. I mean, that, that is the exact opposite of what the job should entail. Why do you think that shift has occurred? I mean, I, I work, you know, I've worked for myself. I, I kind of backed out of journalism in 2016, I want to say, and just focused on, you know, like nonfiction writing in general. I was just like sick of it after the 2016 election. I was just like, we can all get along. It's you guys who are choosing not to. And right. I'm sick of it. Like we can actually be bipartisan. Everyone is choosing not to, not just in the media, but like I was living in Los Angeles and, you know, anyway, that's all been said before. But, you know, you brought up George Floyd and I obviously, you know, I understand that from kind of like a racial perspective that massively was 
a catalyst for the social capital, social mindset that we have on this sort of macro level now as a country. But I, I feel like it was happening a long time before that. And I feel like it was just sort of like bubbling to the surface, you know, like that sort of volcano waiting to erupt. Um, but, you know, do you think it's cancel culture? Like what, what has caused that shift away from reporting the news, investigating important stories to, okay, let's, you know, like, let's do the hype thing this week, which is, yeah, let's go and talk trash about, uh, you know, bus driver in Alabama or whatever it was. Right, right. Know. Yeah. Okay. So a study found in the summer that 64% of people are afraid of quote unquote cancel culture. I say that because again, I, I don't, you know, these new terms, I don't always love, but we know what that means, right? It's people from the outside coming for your job, firing you and damaging your life. And yeah. fear, fear really drives decision-making. People know their jobs are on the line if the right people call for them. So you name one of these people. If you go after Joy Reid, Joy Reid with her platform, which, you know, on Twitter, pretty big. You know, she has a lot of followers. People support her. They're very loyal to her. She can damage your career. I mean, she can say this person's racist. And all of a sudden, you have 100,000 people agreeing with her, tweeting at you. A boss can see that and say, wow, this guy's getting called a racist. This is bad for our brand. Let's get rid of him. That way we don't, that way we can shield ourselves and say, well, we don't accept racism, even though it's not racism. But if you go attack some bus driver in Alabama, what can he do to you? Nothing. Yeah. He doesn't have a social platform. He can't cost you your job. He can't rebel. People in power can rebel and hurt you. So if you don't have the self-confidence confidence to stand up to those people, you're not going to do it. You're, you're going to side with them. And conversely, Someone like, I'll just stick on the topic of Joy Reid. If you protect her, if you stick up for her, if you lie for her, she'll retweet your story. She'll follow you on Twitter. She'll tell other people to follow you. And a lot of people, they'll say, wow, if Joy Reid can retweet me, that's going to get me a lot of clicks. That's going to get me a lot of clout. If I protect this bus driver in Alabama, he doesn't even have a Twitter. How's he going to help me? So it's, it's selfishness and cowardice that drives that shift. Yeah, it's those artificial communities. I mean, it almost goes exactly. back to what we were start, like talking about at the start. And I'd love to kind of stick on the topic of Joy Reid for a minute and just talk about the sort of like hypocrisy, right? Because yeah. I didn't know who Joy Reid was until I was doing the news for Joe Pags, um, who is, you know, one of the best, I think, in the business, you know, just this complete legend of, you know, talk radio, news media. Um, he's been so kind, like coached me so much through, you know, just like these past, like he had me fill in for him on his show. I was just like, me? What? No. Right. Um, but I was on Joe Pags and he sort of brought up Joy Reid and he talked about um, her coming out after Gabby Petito first went missing. So she hadn't been found murdered. The strangulation as cause of death hadn't been released at this point. And Joy Reid decided to talk about Gabby Petito instead of saying this is a horrific situation that is all too common amongst women, 
particularly, you know, I, it's just a fact that, you know, you're more likely to go missing as a black or Native American woman than you are Caucasian, but that's also not really the point. But she called it sort of missing white woman syndrome, then had two uh, two people from different like foundations or groups come on the show. Not once did they bring up the, even a name of a single missing black or indigenous woman. Um, and, you know, everyone's sort of, you know, on, I would say the more like right leaning side of the spectrum, like Joe Pag said, this is disgusting. This is wrong. And I made a video. I'm not even sure if it got released, but I made a video uh, for the Daily Caller where I just read out a list of women's names that I found on the pages of the two group or the women who ran the two groups that Joy Reid interviewed. And I was like, you couldn't have said one of these names. You couldn't have shown one of these pictures. Just one could have made a difference. You have the platform. You could have done more. And to think that you would, uh, that anyone would hold someone like Joy Reid, who is not only attacking a woman and a cause and causing further division, the fact that you could sort of uphold her and create that artificial community around her, gain clout from someone who was so just repugnant in her reportage, it really terrified me and made me think, oh my goodness, this is, this is actually, she's not even saying or doing this, I don't think anymore for the clicks. She doesn't need them. She's not doing it for the likes. She doesn't need them. And I think I said in my original video, like she's just doing it for the likes and the clicks. But now I realize that that's who she might actually really be. And I don't know how we got to the point where you can celebrate someone causing that kind of division when they could have done so much more good. I mean, do you really think that social media, I mean, it would appear to me that social media and those sort of clips that are derived from shows like Joy Reacher, I don't know what a show is called, I don't care. Um, But the fact that something like that was celebrated what do you think that really says about us? Sorry, I know that's like kind of a dark, bigger question, but no, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I want to also talk about um, Demi Lovato after this. So, you know, kind of yeah. leads to that. <laughs> yes, I got a lot to say about this. Um, so you want me to address, uh, there's actually, I, I have two really, I've actually written about both these topics. I don't want to bore you with uh, my opinions. You want me to answer, because I, I, I actually have Dude, strong bore me. Opinions. Like there's nothing you could say that would ever bore me. Like you text me yesterday about like pizza and I was like, oh, this is going to be a great conversation. Because <laughs> it always is. Like, no, this is like whatever you want to say, man. This is your platform too. So I want to, so I want to address why the country was so, in, why the country is so interested in the Gabby Petito story. Um, mm. It's not because she's white. Um, yeah. So he, okay. So the media is just like Hollywood. People are drawn to not stories. They're drawn to, they're drawn to characters. They're drawn to good guys. They're drawn to bad guys. They're drawn to suspense. So what the media does is they find a story, they pitch it on air. If their audience likes it, if they react, they keep on, they keep on talking about it. They keep on writing about it. The Gabby Petito, Brian Laundrie saga captivated the country because it's really what crime novelists and crime directors have been looking for really since the existence of the, the, the genre. I mean, think about the story to say it, take everybody out. The perfect couple getting married goes on a summer long bus trip. The pretty girl goes missing. 
the guy that the viewers deemed as, you know, this, this prince, this perfect man comes home with her van without her. Gabby Petito eventually found dead and this perfect boyfriend goes missing. Oh, the cops botched the investigation. And there's a bunch of evidence that or circumstantial evidence that suggests Brian Laundrie's parents hid him or in on it. And they hired this crooked lawyer who some say is a Johnny Cochran wannabe. Just write that synopsis. Does that not captivate everyone? Does it matter if they're white, Indian, black, or whatever? That story has the pretty girl, which does matter in Hollywood. It matters in society. People are drawn to pretty women. It's always the way it is. You have a clear bad guy in Brian Laundry. You have someone to root against. You have cops who handled the situation wrong. That's, a, that's two episodes in a miniseries. You have the parents who are likely involved. That creates a secondary enemy and likely the people that hold the keys to Brian Laundry's whereabouts. Now you have the guy missing. Where is he? Is he in Mexico? Is he in the, the uh, Carlton Reserve? Is he on an island? Is he in the Appalachian Mountains? Is he dead? Is somebody hiding in like Bin Laden and Carrier? All that stuff just makes great TV. And that's what makes the country so interested in the story. It has nothing to do because Gabby Petito's white. It's because of the story, the characters. So for Joy Reid to say that, not only is she race baiting, it just shows she's not that smart. And by the way, mm-hmm. I, conservatives who I tend to agree with ideologically, I, okay, I find them to be so, so they, they lack so much context and open minds for them to just, throw away that story and say, oh, Joy Reid's race baiting, all that stuff, for them to not look in and see the obvious of why the story is so compelling to so many people, mm-hmm. they could have easily pushed back and closed her argument, but instead they just say, oh, Joy Reid's race baiting. So all that does is give the left more ammunition saying, oh, look at white conservatives are sticking up for the white girl. If they Because they didn't provide that context, Joy Reid got away with that. I think I would have loved to have a conversation with Joy Reid to lay out those points and see her rebuttal because she wouldn't have had one. But conservatives make it easy on her by being lazy in their criticism. Do you think they're lazy in their criticisms because of her clout and because they're scared of being canceled too? I I just think, I think conservatives by and large just are bad at defending points and taking people down or, or, or or holding them accountable. Like I say it all the time. Conservatives hold on to these cliches that the left that they can't convince the left because the left just thinks, oh, they're too dumb. Like how many times have we Democrats shown how hypocritical they are, but instead of actually doing something about it or making a strong case, all these conservatives just tweet out rules for thee, but not for me. That doesn't have any power. That's just become an annoying cliche. That doesn't do anything. That doesn't accomplish mm-hmm. anything. So I just think conservatives are so bad at fighting that people like Joy Reid just that they just go unscathed because there's nobody to hold her accountable that does it in an influential way. Well, do you think, okay, so one of the things that I've noticed in the conversations I have with people, not just on this show, but in the real world too, because my social groups are really evenly split between people on the right and people on the left. And, you know, people on the right and this is, this is my data talking, this is qualitative and quantitative research, you know, it's obviously held privately by me, but, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's essentially a fact now that if you're on the left, 
all you want to do is scream and cause arguments and do the kinds of things that Joy Reid does, which is I'm going to do this thing that is aggressive or, you know, like AOC's tax the rich dress, you know, that kind of hypocritical BS, you know, just do as I say, not as I do, which I think is honestly the motto of the Democratic Party at this point. You know, you just got to look at like, you know, someone like Nancy Pelosi, who hosts these, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, fundraiser while there are bodies strewn across her district um, from the opioid crisis, from the drug crisis, the untreated mental health crisis. It's it's this kind of hypocrisy, this woke communist hypocrisy that has just bled into, you know, normal people's lives where when I come out and say, oh, yeah, I work for an outlet that is, you know, was technically founded by Tucker Carlson, people look at me like I've just shot a baby in the face. And then people on the right, they don't care. They're like, cool. Do you like hunting? Like, I'll just let you live. And it seems to be this divide between cancel culture on the left and can't we just all get along on the right? And can we just stop arguing, please? And it sounds, you know, certainly the way that you kind of presented your argument here, that the right need to be doing a much better job of standing up and saying, absolutely not, this behavior is abhorrent and we're going to hold you to account for it. Like no one, no one has held AOC to account for her tax the rich dress. No one's holding Joy Reid to account for her disgusting comments on the death of a young woman. And it's interesting because it would appear that social media is maybe the reason why, but when I have conversations with people on the right, it seems to be more like, look, we have a bigger fight going on right now. And I'm like, what is it? And they can never give me an answer. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any bigger fight than our culture. Cause I think, I think everything starts with culture. So I, I can't imagine there being a bigger fight unless there's some war or whatever, something like that, obviously. Um, I think part of that, you know, you bring up Tucker Carlson. The reason why Tucker Carlson is such a threat same with Joe Rogan and mm. Bill O'Reilly was for 20 years. I think they, in their own way, they outsmart the left. And I think conservatives do a bad job of doing that because I think they're kind of, I think a lot of times their rebuttals and kind of their pushback, the left can be sort of lame. They can be cliche, you know, they can use good cliches or, or just, you know, common phrases that are overused. They don't have a lot of big world meaning. I think because Tucker he exposes these people. Bill O'Reilly exposes them. Joe Rogan exposes them. A lot of conservative pundits don't expose liberals or Democrats. They just kind of, you know, make jokes about them or are mean to them. It's fine. There's an audience for it, obviously. Look at the numbers. doesn't do a lot. I mean, there's a reason why Media Matters and CNN are trying to get rid of Tucker Carlson, but they're not trying to get rid of other people that go after them in a far more aggressive way. I think conservatives in general need to get smarter, not angrier. I love that. I think that that, like, this is a conversation that I would like to have on a sort of ongoing basis with you because I couldn't agree more. And speaking of very smart conservatives, I thought it was so funny last night that you brought up uh Demi Lovato and I guess like Megan Kelly went after her I can't like I didn't dig into the story but 
you know, a few, probably about a month ago, I saw that Demi Lovato was trending on Twitter and I was like looking for stuff to pitch to my editors. And I was like, look, I think that this is actually like a really big story. Like, I think the fact that this young woman who has a huge amount of influence on very young generations, she's like, she doesn't have an influence on the millennial generation, the, the generation she is a member of. Because no one took her seriously when we were growing up, you know, like she was kind of a B-lister, you know, she wasn't the Jonas Brothers, she wasn't Miley Cyrus, she wasn't Lindsay Lohan, she wasn't one of those kind of pop culture icons that everyone wanted to be, she was just the one flavor that was sort of in everything that you could kind of like, you just knew that she was going to be in it, and then, you know, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, but she seems to have a huge influence on younger generations. And that's where a majority of her following comes from. And I'm not trying to take away from her talent. I think she is an exceptionally talented singer, but the stuff that comes out of her mouth and the speed at which she changes her mindset, her identity, her brand is almost impossible to keep up with, which is I think another reason why millennials just haven't really clung on to her because we like, to a certain extent, consistency or evolution, not this kind of like leapfrogging from one thing to the next. Um, but I would love to get your kind of take on this story, um, just because, again, I was I was told like, oh, this won't resonate with our audience. And then I'm like, well, Megan Kelly is talking about it. I could have had this bloody before her. Um, not that I have an ego about my work, but I like to do a good job. Um, and I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but the comment was that young people need to go out and be sluts. Yeah, I think uh, I think she met, um, at least according to the conversation Megan Kelly and David Rubin had, she met specifically young women. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I didn't, so to be clear, I haven't, I did not see Demi Lovato's um, Instagram posts. I've only heard, I someone sent me that clip last night, which I thought you find interesting. Um, I think part of, yeah, I'd like, um, if you have, I'd like to actually have you read her. So I actually know the full context of it. Um, but, but I think what's interesting is, yeah, she said, well, really the, the, the short form form is she was telling young women to go out and be sluts and have a lot of sex. That was her advice to them, which, yeah. um, okay. Uh, you know, cool. But I think the thing is, is why is she giving that advice? Does she actually want them to do that does she actually believe that's what's best for them is she doing it for political gain societal gain financial gain i think that's the key of it because okay i'm never too interested in what people say what people say everybody sees but Mm -hmm. why are they saying it to me that's the interesting conversation why is demi lovato saying that because that's not common advice that you give younger women or i mean I don't think you give it to younger guys, although I guess, you know, maybe in a cool way you would say that to some, um, it does happen. I'm not going to lie. So I think for her to say that, um, yeah, I just think, I think she has a bigger motive. I don't think that she really, you know, has any sort of interest in that happening to young girls, but I think it goes to, for whatever reason, saying something like that has become brave. And that says a lot about reaction, right? Why is a comp, you know, why is advice like that brave? I don't think there's anything brave about saying something like that. Um, I think, you know, Tucker Carlson said it, uh, I think he was speaking to Glenn Beck. He's like, everybody in America is now talking about sex, but nobody's having sex. For whatever reason, the, these, these conversations become so popular 
so divisive and so empowering. I just don't see how they're empowered. I, I don't. I don't think Demi Lovato saying that empowers anyone. I don't think it empowers young women. I think all it does is it gets people to say, "Yeah, Demi Lovato sticking up for young women." But is she? I'll ask you. I don't think she's sticking up for them. I think that she believes. Saying stuff like that gives her that sort of get out of jail free cards. Like, well, she's sticking up for young women. She's sex positive. How can we go after her without getting labeled something? I think, I think her saying that provides her that protective shield as so many actresses and musicians are seeking right now. I mean, I've got the, I've got the story that you sent me here. I'll read it out in my best news voice. So this is from Mediate.com. Megan Kelly rips Demi Lovato for telling followers to, quote, be a slut and, quote, make slash watch porn. Megan Kelly invited David Rubin to her podcast on Thursday, during which the two addressed advice Demi Lovato gave their followers last month. In September, Lovato, who has come out as non-binary and whose pronouns are they them, shared an Instagram post by former reality star and activist Vass Morgan. The... Oh God, they actually post the Instagram picture here and it says, be a slut, show your body, get naked, have all the safe, different consensual sex you want, be kinky, masturbate, make slash watch porn, make money. It read adding just a reminder that being sexual is okay. So this is what kind of freaked me out. The first time I saw this was, you know, don't like, I cannot stress this enough to anyone listening. Like, don't be a slut. That is not a good way to find happiness. It's just going to hurt you in the long run. And I say this because a lot of my friends are sluts. You know who you are. Um, Show your body, get naked. Now, like, I might sound like a hypocrite, right? If I say, don't do that. But my advice to most people who don't grow up in sort of a... I didn't grow up in a household where we were all naked all the time, but I certainly didn't grow up in a household where that was shied away from. It wasn't done in a sexual way. It was just, I'm trying to get my day done and I don't have time to put on clothes right now. So I'll do a few things before I do that. And I've always been like a pretty naked person, but I don't walk around in the street naked. It's not something you know, that I do for sexual gratification, that I do for attention. It's not something that I do for anyone. I just prefer to be that way. I'm a hippie when it comes down to it. And I think that, you know, I'm, and you know this better than probably anyone, Bobby, like I'm a pretty traditional person when it comes to relationships. And I think that, you know, that's sort of not kind of cool anymore. Like everyone wants to have like one of these kind of out there, like, you know, going non-binary or whatever, like having this kind of ideology and kind of pushing your sexualization on other people I just think is like really distasteful I don't think that sex is a conversation that should be had amongst anyone other than two people who are having consensual sex um and the thing that really freaked me out at the end of it was the make money part so I've never made money from the fact that I like to hang around and be naked when I'm at home doing my own thing um, I think it just it it was a really bizarre ending to that that could really warp people's conception, young people's conception of what sex is supposed to be, especially with things like OnlyFans becoming so prevalent and part of our pop culture. Um, but the piece goes on uh, to say, you know, Kelly, Kelly and Ruben discussed the message on Thursday's edition of the Megan Kelly show, the host revealing that she advises people to do the exact opposite. Well, same. It's another thing me and Megan Kelly have in common. Kelly incorrectly assuming this advice was meant exclusively for women as neither Lovato 
or the person who originally posted the message identifies women shared that the advice she gives to her friend's daughters before they head to college is don't be a slut, which is exactly the right advice as far as I'm concerned. You know, if we go back to, you know, what's going to make you happy in the morning, you know, having 100,000 Twitter followers who don't know you, who are just watching your page because that you might say something that they want to repost as part of your sort of like Twitter army, it's going to give you the same empty feeling as having lots of sex with lots of different people who don't love you. Um, And so I think it's an interesting piece. I think it's interesting that they even brought it up on the show. I should probably listen to it to get a little bit more context, but I think it, you know, the way that this piece uh, on mediate uh, or however it's pronounced uh, ends is using, Oh God. Okay. Well, they just shame Kelly, but, I actually agree with what Megan Kelly says here, which is Kelly went on to call Lovato a terrible role model, exclaiming that she is sick of this BS. Um, and I agree. I think that, you know, Demi Lovato is not a good role model. You know, if I was a mother at this point and, you know, I'm an aunt, but uh, I would never in a million years want any young woman or man in my life to kind of take advice from this person. And I, I'm sorry, but I don't really see that much difference in, the behavior of Demi Lovato in posting something like that from Joy Reid trying to, you know, completely ignore the fact that a young woman was murdered. Like, where did all this hate come from? And I know I say that after I've just like completely dragged Demi Lovato and I'm a huge hypocrite. But I mean, when I started out in journalism, it wasn't about hate. It was about doing the news, like you said. I mean, again, is it just social media or is there is there actual like is there actually more hatred in the world right now? Why are we so scared? I guess is my question. And that's a big yeah, question. That's, that's such a good question. I think about it a lot. Um, I, I've actually asked people that, you know, that I really respect why are we so hateful? Why, why can't anybody get along? Why, why are we all rooting for why others' demise? Um, yeah. You know, some of it does start with the role models, right? Like, who are the role models right now? Demi Lovato, LeBron James, Jeff Bezos, DaBaby. I think I'm saying his name right, the rapper. I have no I idea mean, who that is, but yes. I don't know. I mean, that, that starts with the culture, right? We just got done talking about 20 minutes ago about how important culture is and how nothing really outweighs that when it comes to society. Um, our role models are hateful. These people are hateful. I mean, that they, they shame people who don't agree with them and they encourage their large followers to do the same. Um, that's really where it's, but does that, is that where it starts? I think a lot of it too is just, it, it seemed to really start in 2016 when trump won the presidency um and uh, you know i always say when you don't have an answer for something people blame trump but a lot of times he's at least a root cause of something and a lot of times inadvertently i just think he changed the way this country operates in the way it runs um i I think trump winning was such a wake-up call it it gave people who were so immersed in his movement power but Conversely, the people who hate him and still hate him and never believed he could win, I think it damaged them. It damaged the media. It damaged pop culture. It changed Hollywood. People got so volatile because they couldn't believe this guy 
who was never supposed to win, who they were told 24 hours before election, I had no shot at beating Hillary Clinton. When he eventually took the White House, took office, it changed people. I think it really opened people's eyes all across the country in every different societal societal group. Um, and I really believe that's where it all started because it seems like whether it is Demi Lovato talking about being non-binary, LeBron James talking about all this stuff about how the country is systemically racist, I feel like all of that goes back to Trump winning presidency. If you look over history, a lot of things that happen we saw coming to some degree. I think everything you say, there was warning signs. I don't think people ever thought an outsider could actually control the country. I think it really is one of the biggest upsets in our country's history. And just like in sports, upsets, upsets change people because it throws everything off because the world they plan to live in it's no longer the reality. I think that is the best explanation I can give that explains this hate we have toward each other. I think Trump winning made some people so happy, angered so many people, and it just created a divide. And I said before, I think Trump was a very good president, but he had one major flaw. He didn't bring us together. He further divided us. And I think mm-hmm. from 2016 until now, the country just div- has, has divided exponentially, which is really shameful because I think we're so far apart right now. It's going to take a long time to bring us back. If COVID, I thought when COVID started, maybe COVID would bring us back together because it's something that affects all of us. I was wrong. COVID divided us even further, separated us even further, probably still separating us. So I think that is really what the cause of all this is because it's so widespread now from politics to culture to athletes to music the divide is prevalent really anywhere you go that's really interesting i i'm gonna throw this out there i'm gonna disagree with you a little um oh one of my cats is trying to climb on the computer sorry um but how much was it trump and how much was it the coverage of trump that fed into that shift in our social consciousness that divide in our ideological social consciousness because i remember i just moved to the states i just gotten my visa uh during the run-up to the 2016 election and you could feel you could feel the fear starting to brew in the air in Los Angeles where, where I was living. And I was living in Venice Beach, which is, you know, the sort of hip, cool place. And it, I, I've talked about this before, but I was shocked at the number of people. Like, I can't vote, so I don't really care who won. I never really liked Hillary Clinton. I didn't think she was very uh, a decent representative of women. But I, I was surprised by how many people quietly behind closed doors we're going to vote for Trump considering it is such a liberal such a a sort of far left leaning community and I thought well if this many people are voting for Trump here then you know 10x that 100x that across the rest of the country because you know what we see on the coasts is a microcosm of what America really is and I knew, I vividly remember sitting, I think everyone does, um, the night that he won. And I turned to my dad who was out visiting and I was like, told you. And, and it was, 
it you know like the next day I went to like fucking yoga class sorry I, I try not to swear so much on the show but I went to this yoga class and everyone's like oh we need to all cry about this and I'm sitting there looking there's like 15 people in the class who I know voted for Trump because they'd all told me and what really surprised me at that time was every argument I heard against Trump I had heard within 24 hours prior on some news media channel on these sort of talking head platforms and I don't know if you've seen Fahrenheit 11.9 it's brilliant film by Michael Moore and he sort of delves into quite briefly how Les Moonves um who was like was he CBS yeah 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 yes CBS um he uh, he said, you know, I don't know how good Trump is going to be for the country, but he's incredible for ratings because, you know, a angry people tweet, b scared people tune into the television. And I sort of started to see this shift occurring where people were less likely to have original thought, more likely to repeat something that they had heard their chosen news anchor or media pundit say. And then it just sort of went on from there. And I didn't own a television up until probably about a year ago. I was given a TV by an ex-boyfriend. There's literally like I would never pay money to own a television. It's just not something that I need. Um, And I'm sorry if you guys are listening at home and there's a little bit of background noise. It just got really windy here. But um, I was shocked at how what I was watching on TV was just completely not reflective of what I was being shown in terms of clips. So for example, I have always been pretty anti-Clinton because when you look at Clinton's policies and the way that he behaved, and this was also kind of reinforced uh, for me through that documentary that Michael Moore made, which I'm not sure was the point he was trying to do, but when you look at Clinton's you know, policies back in the 90s, he did so much to hurt minorities in this country. Like, irrevoc- like he destroyed the Black American family. He really did. He is the reason, you know, Third Strike is the reason why so many young Black families had to grow up without one or both parents. And that's just a fact. Like, you can look at the data on that. That's not me making a claim that I don't have any basis in. That is just a freaking fact. And that's why I never really enjoyed the thought of Hillary Clinton becoming president. So I was like, great, we're just going to have way more hypocrites in charge. And I lived in California, remember? And so, you know, here's this like woke bastion of sunshine and love, except if you want to do drugs on the street and die from them, no one's going to intervene and help you. If you want to traffic humans, if you want to be a domestic abuser, if you want to, you know, partake in elder abuse, child abuse, all of those crimes are considered nonviolent in California. And yet it's looked at as this sort of, yeah, like this woke liberal bastion of success, shiny, shiny money, whatever. Um, And it's just a lie. It's just a complete facade. And so when I started watching just the clips of Donald Trump and what he was saying, I thought, okay, this guy isn't maybe presenting himself as quote unquote presidential, but what does that even mean these days? What do you have to be cool? You've got to get up and play the saxophone. You've got to get up and like make jokes like Obama did and like be everyone's friend. Like he, like his job as president was to 
just be the president. And the purpose of the president is to ensure the kind of sanctity of America and ensure that we are safe, ensure that we are represented in the public, um, you know, globally in a positive way. And when I looked at his policies, I thought, you know, for the most part, a lot of this makes sense. Like I'm a non-resident legal alien in this country. I, I use the term immigrant because it's just an easier explanation. But it always really bothered me when people are like, oh, let's like tear down the border wall. And I'm like, you do realize that the border wall actually is a deterrent to human trafficking. Like that kind of information never came out from the right. So I agree, you know, with your previous point that the right need to be a lot better at making arguments and holding people to account. But all of the little policies, all of the clips, like there was even like the clip where, you know, when it went around like, oh, there are bad guys on both, or good people on both sides, bad guys on both sides. I can't remember the exact quote. About 30 or less than five seconds, sorry, before he said that, he goes, yeah, I will absolutely denounce. Like, I think it was abhorrent what these people said, but the media clipped what he said exactly as they needed to and used it as a device for them to get clicks and to perpetuate this like this division well, in our social consciousness. And I'm not trying to defend what he said, but what I'm saying is I feel like the media does far more manipulating and division than the individuals who the media portrays, if that makes sense. So I actually think you agree with me uh, because what you just described is the reaction to Trump. So when I say Trump changed the country, it's, it's the reaction to Trump, it's mm. Trump himself, it's the way people see Trump. It, it's, it's Trump's victory had such a trickle effect in every direction. So like what you describe, people supporting Trump but are fearful. Well, if they're fearful, that's that's pretty alarming. I mean, yeah. if you're fearful, that's going to divide the country because you're pretending to be someone you're not. You brought up the way the media portrays Trump. Well, if the media is lying, and they clearly are, it's going to do two things. It's going to scare the people who are watching it, making them more emotional against Trump. And it's going to make his supporters more agitated because they're saying, well, this group is lying. And you mentioned going to yoga class, people being hysterical that he won. Again, Trump, the, the reaction to Trump just brought temperatures up each way. It made people angrier and it made his supporters feel more like, you know, they were being misrepresented and they were. So I think what you said is 100% right, but I think it's all connected to Trump winning the presidency because really what you described was the nation's reaction to Trump, which just brought the temperatures up in all of these different directions, which made us more hateful and more hostile toward one another when we disagree agree with each other like you're right about the clips and the out of context and what that really did is it made liberals say wait a minute this guy's even worse than we thought and it made you know trump voters say wait a minute they're lying i hate the media everything trump said about the media is correct so i i agree with you and i, I still think it all comes back to trump winning even if he wasn't directly the even if it wasn't him doing it it was it was the people reacting to he was Wow. I mean, but then surely we can go kind of back to it's it's the media that keeps dividing us. And oh, of course, it's, it, the, it, it's, yeah. it's the public voice, it's the public voices. But but see, the thing is, is, okay, the media is disproportionately leans left. It, it, yeah. it's, it's true. So the thing is, when Trump won, 
they they suffered the biggest defeat they had in most of their lifetimes, most of the media members. So that made them more divisive, which divided us. So I think it's the way athletes, actors, musicians, talk show hosts, journalists, Twitter people, it's the way they reacted to Trump. So I still think it all comes down to Trump, even if it's another layer that really led to the divide. And I would, I would add to Trump didn't close that divide. He further divided us with his rhetoric, which I think was his biggest flaw as a president. Um, I think it all comes together. It all goes back to that night he shocked the world and beat Hillary Clinton because the media has never gotten over it and it made them more hateful. I mean, do you think it made them more hateful because they were wrong and they were embarrassed? Like, do you think what we're experiencing? Yeah, like what we're experiencing is this sort of like secondary trauma from these kind of like junky journalists who, yeah, said one thing and then had to eat their own shorts. So the media, so media people hate two things. They hate being wrong and they hate being challenged because they're so mediocre. They can't defend (laughs) their their points. Trump proved them all wrong because they all projected he'd lose. And he also challenged them, called him out. And what he said was factual for the most part about them, and they couldn't really defend it. So he exposed them as both frauds and liars. So I think that I think that's the best way to look at why they hated him so much, or why they wow. do hate. They still hate. They still hate. I think they hate him yeah. now more than ever. They still hate him, and he's not even yeah. on social media. Um, right. Yeah, I did not see us like getting onto the topic of Trump today. That was uh, that was really fun. I'm glad that we. So this is the thing, right? It's like we have discourse, we have common ground, like we have the kind of back and forth, and then we figure out, like, oh, we actually do have a lot in common when it comes to this topic. And you know, I talk to people from all walks of life all over the world every day, as I know that you do too. And I think we all have a lot more in common than we want to admit. And it is these kind of digital communities on, you know, obviously online because they're digital, but lead to those like echo chambers and the aggression and the meanness and you know we can it's that classic thing of a bully being able to now hide behind a screen and can't be humiliated because behind the screen they'll always win and they'll always be right and I'm glad that you don't play into the people who are trying to bully you who I just I still can't get my head around that dude like you're literally the nicest person I know you're the nicest person in the news media hands down Like, and I'm not just saying this because I have to deal with people like Raheem Kassam every day. Raheem, I love you, but you're the worst. Um, But, you know, you really are that sort of like lovely, you still have just like such a a rich soul when it comes to your work. And I think that really comes across in your work. Speaking of, where can people find your work, Bobby? Um, I'm not really good at self-promotion, but I guess, you know, if you go to Outkick, uh, you'll, you know, you'll see some of my stuff. It has my name on it, but I want to say something real quick. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we had originally disagreed on some of the Trump stuff. I mean, we probably don't agree on all of it, but I think we agree on some of it, but I think what we did is we walked through our viewpoint step-by-step and I think got to a conclusion where we challenged each other. And I think that got us to where we wanted to be. There's none of that now. You can't have that now. Um, you know, you, you talk about the people that don't like me. They're not willing to have these conversations with me. I mean, if they would have sat down with me, like you just did, and talked about that Bomani piece, they would have lost. I mean, what, what, I, mean 
I, I don't know how they really could have defended their point. I mean, I would have pointed the numbers and said, hey, here are Nielsen's data point. But there is none of that right now. Everybody just, we're in a society where we pile on, right? It's like, okay, this guy's a target. Let's jump in because he can't take on all of us. It doesn't do anything. Um, and I think we are such, we, people now are so weak with a public voice. I, I, I think it's concerning. And, um, and to tell you the truth, I'm not looking for people that agree with me every step of the way. I'm looking for people who can challenge me, make me defend my points, and maybe change my mind, because that does happen. Where can I find that person? It's definitely not online. It's definitely not in the media. It's probably honestly probably, it's probably not even there anymore, at least not in a big city. Oh, so gosh. where is that? I would say it's in very small towns, maybe at a coffee shop. And what does that say about the country that some local coffee shop two workers is a better place for robust conversation than an atmosphere online that's supposed to represent the entire country. And I think if you sit back and think about that, it really tells you where we are as a country and explains the disconnect from what I call the everyday American and the people in power and who have a voice. Yeah, that's, that's actually kind of terrifying and, and not the point of America you know the the thing that i sort of always go back to is is the pub really not that i spend any time at the pub anymore no i get you're saying i get you're saying though it's it's where it's where people are you know they they have more confidence to express their opinions i mean you're right you're going to find more robust conversation and you're going to have more of a marketplace idea at a pub or at a bar than you're going to have i think in the public the problem is i think people are brainwashed now because of social media they're starting to take that out to what they do you know for their own time i think you're going to see more people fearful of supporting trump at a pub just because of that that's why i think i find some of the smartest people the most independent thinkers to be people that are really disconnected from that world and that's why it goes back to what we started about use social media to your advantage Put your thoughts out there. Don't let the people change who you are because they're going to change you into somebody who's not realistic. And that's what people have to realize. Yeah. God, I wish we'd had this conversation like five years ago. It would have saved me a lot of anguish. But from that anguish comes growth. So, you know, uh, there's always that upside. And I also think it's a, a lot harder to disagree with people and to not listen to them when you have to look them in the eye. And you know, it's something that I, I tell a lot of my younger followers um, and, you know, like my godchildren and what have you, you know, yeah, like social media shouldn't hold any currency in your real day to day life. Like if someone if one of your friends says or does something on social media, don't gossip about it. Like, like no one cares. Like think bigger, think smarter and think about how these people treat you in your real life you don't agree with your parents on everything but you still love them and we can kind of extend that unconditionality to everyone I've always said you know you can say think be whoever you want to be but the minute that you take action based on those words and you limit those kinds of freedoms or any kind of freedom for another person um, or use those words uh, to hurt and to make people hate you know, that that's when the line is crossed and social media has just completely destroyed the line. 
Um, although if we went for social media, we probably wouldn't know each other. So that is the one upside. I will say. Yeah, like I said before, I think social media <laughs> has upside. Like I said, I've met a lot of people. I think it's it's helped me in my career, but there is yeah. a lot of negative. You, you have to be able to separate them and and let the positive out, outweigh the negatives. Um, I think you know, the, the wrap up this conversation, I think was I really appreciate you having me on. I think we touched on a lot of important topics. Um I think at the end of the day we are responsible for our own emotions, right? You, you know, we get upset about things for the most part. I mean, there's some things obviously are, you know, a family death or car crash, but as far as what people say about us, the, you know, they only have the impact that we grant them in response. So, you know, somebody says something about you and maybe they write it or whatever, and you spend, you know, you let that ruin your weekend, you're letting them win. Yeah. And that's what you can't do. Um, so I think that is where people make the mistake is that they get so upset over all this stuff and they let it change them. Why? Who is it? And I, I go back to the five thing only at the end of the day, so little things actually matter in our life. And if what people say about you, isn't changing any of those five things, it's not worth worrying about thinking about or changing yourself over. I love that. Can you send me those five things again? I'm going to put them in the description. Yeah, and I guess to change the topic completely, what uh, what are you doing this weekend to get away from social media? I know it's like uh, it's a little bit later on a Saturday. You got any fun plans? No, I don't. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I really don't. Um, I do want to finish my that book on Bin Laden. I'm really fascinated by it. I've always been interested in this story. I think this book tells it as details I've found yet. I don't have a lot going on. I've actually had a, I've had a busy week for traveling and all that stuff. So I'm actually hoping to just kind of lay low for tonight and, uh, you know, back at it tomorrow. How about you? Nice. Uh, pretty much the same. I think I'm going to go to the yeah. state fair tomorrow and just eat loads of greasy food and wander around. But yeah, definitely lying low today. Wait, which book, which book was that? The, the mystery novel or the, which one? No, it's called, it's called Countdown Bin Laden. It takes, oh, yes. day, it takes day by day into how they, capture bin laden i uh i'm really interested in the story i think it's very well written there's a lot of really important notes in there it's one of my favorite books i've read in a long time yeah i added it to my see this is this is the thing i don't i don't smoke pot anymore i don't drink unless i'm around other people but something happens to my brain after like 7 p.m where I'm like, unless I really digest this, I'm not going to remember it in the morning. And then I'm asleep yeah. at like nine. I'm secretly a hundred years old. And I'm not. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well, again, I appreciate you having me on. I'm happy to jump on anytime. If I can ever uh, help you in any way, you know, I always got your back. So just let me know. Oh, thank you, Bobby. I don't know what I would do without you. And uh, yeah, let's definitely do this again. I should have asked you about Nashville and all those sorts of things. That was um, yeah next time next time i think we've been going now for an hour and a half so all good people... all good oh hey we got to find you a football team though pretty soon i want i, I want oh, i want yeah. you to root i want you to root for a team even if you don't watch the game i at least want you to have a team that you root for i think you'll really enjoy the feeling of rooting for a team that roller coaster of them winning losing i think you'll enjoy it. i think it's a lot of fun it's really distracting too i think you'll enjoy it i'm i'm so down okay so when we click off uh click this off we'll uh we'll start talking football but i want to make a deal with you before we wrap up if i pick 
a football team, you have to support Wales in the rugby. And during the Six Nations, we have to do some analysis because rugby is my sport. I think it's vastly underrated in America and it is addictively fun to watch. I'm trying to get Jonathan Davis to come on the show. We uh, we follow each other on social media. We've sort of chatted back and forth, but we uh, our timing keeps messing up. And he snogged my mum once on the back of a bus when they were teenagers. So, you know, like to bring that up. Um, but uh, yeah, so if I pick a football team, you have to promise me that you will start getting into rugby during the Six Nations. I will reluctantly agree to that. Oh, why the reluctance? <laughs> why the reluctance? Uh, well, because the thing about sports is they take up a lot of time. So I've kind of given up interest in all sports, but football. So I know me when I get into something, I can't quit it. Like if, like if you tell me to get into rugby, I'll start reading about it, watching videos, watching recaps. So I think in a weird way, I'll become addicted to rug- rugby. So I, I don't you know, that, see a problem here. Like I, I, don't, I, I don't see a problem. <laughs> because remember somebody, because somebody had me do this with the UFC. They're like, you got to watch the UFC. It's like, oh, I really don't need another sport to watch. So I started watching it. And all of a sudden I was paying 60 bucks every month. The pay-per-views I was, while I, was, I was staying in watching all the pre-fight. And all of a sudden it was taking up so much time. And I got so into, I was even ranking my own fighters pound for pound, one through 50. I get too into things. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, like yeah. the next episode, we're going to talk about your clearly very addictive personality and how we can manage it for rugby season. <laughs> um, right, sounds, good. <laughs> sounds good. Thanks so much, Bobby. Love you a lot. We'll chat again soon. All right. All right bye. <laughs>